They're supposed to know everything about hiring, you know, recruiting, job interviews, oh, selling, marketing. That's nonsense. That's not, I don't know. All, I don't know all that stuff. But I have experts as part of Team Unusual who know it really, really well. And so it's a team. It takes a team to help founders achieve what they can become and the company that they want to build. And so I, I said, this is nuts. Let's, let's give everybody our secret sauce. He goes, oh, you're giving it away. I said, yeah, we're giving it away. Because again, if you really want to learn it, it's not enough to just read all the modules. Sure, you can follow the steps. You can paint by numbers. But when we do it alongside of you, when we do it with you in the workshops in our academy, or we actually, we call it the get ahead platform, when we put those operators with you inside your company, it's a whole nother level of learning and efficacy. Hey everyone, this is Jonah Bacon and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. I hope you're all safe and well wherever you may be. Of course, quick reminder, my new book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams, is out right now. Go and pick up a copy if you haven't already done that. But more importantly, I want to get onto my guest today. I'm thrilled to have John Vrionis on the show. How are you doing, John? John, I'm great. Looking forward yeah. to chatting with you. Yeah, it's great to it's great to see you. Um so Let's go through the rap sheet first of all, because you've got some you've got some really interesting experience. I think what you're doing right now is particularly interesting. But um, you know, you studied um, at Harvard, uh, you studied economics there. You were at Stanford, where you have an MBA in general management. You were at the University of Chicago, where you covered computer science. So a lot of studying right there. Um, and you were a partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners. Um, but these days, you are the founder and managing partner of Unusual Ventures. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Unusual, Unusual is a really interesting VC that's taken a really different approach. Um, you invest in early stage enterprise and consumer uh, tech startups. And you know, from what you've talked about previously, the mission is to really redefine seed investing and kind of raise the bar on what entrepreneurs should expect. Uh, early investor in a bunch of really pretty impressive exits, including a firm networks, app dynamics, Heptio, and many more. So pretty neat stuff. Now, I want to kind of start out with this um, at the beginning and talk about what you're fixing, because for example, on the, on the, on the unusual ventures website, you say, uh, we think the classic founder to investor engagement model is broken. So why do we start there? What do you think is broken about it? Well, a few things. Uh, and believed it so much that decided to take a leap and, and start Unusual about three years ago now with my co-founder, uh, Joti Bonzel, who was the, the founder of AppDynamics, uh, where I was the first investor now almost uh, 11 years ago. Right. So let's see, where should we start? Um, I think number one, we all felt that entrepreneurs deserve stage-specific help, Jono, that in art and music and sports and medicine, eventually to be world-class, you see that people need to focus and believe that what founders go through in those early years is actually the hardest phase of the journey. And as we looked at the, the investor engagement model, a lot of it was advice-driven. Uh, a lot of investors were making 50, 75, you know, let's just call it high volume was their investment strategy. Other firms were multi-stage where they would invest early stage, but really their core business model revolved around investing 
50, 75, 100 million dollars. So they would buy what we called call options, uh, or maybe even a little skeptically uh, playing roulette. They put chips <laughs> on every number on the wheel. But when the founders needed the most help, they weren't getting that hands-on engagement that we felt really could make a difference in whether they succeeded or not. Right. Now, when, when you say hands-on and as opposed to advisory, are you just saying that essentially uh, the way this w- works in many with many VCs is people just get on a bunch of calls, they receive a bunch of advice, but there isn't as much of an ongoing practical kind of relationship. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, we took it probably to the extreme, you, you might say. So Jody would tell you that the hardest part as a product technology founder of building your company in the early years, it's figuring out three things. The empathetic story that you need to tell, meaning from the outside in, what is it that matters about your company to the customer? It's hard. It takes a lot of iteration to get that right. It also turns out that closing those early design partners and early wins, it's not easy. Even the second time around when he built Harness, as a fairly famous and entrepreneur, it was still hard. And then finally, recruiting, recruiting that core team to kind of get you to early product market fit. It's just challenging. I mean, the world's full of talented people, but they're all in high demand. So those founders, Jono, that have great ideas, great insights for companies, they need to be surrounded by A caliber people that can help them with product marketing, early sales, and recruiting. And the challenge is the A players, they don't join seed stage companies. It doesn't make sense. It's an intelligence test. They can't get enough equity and you can't pay them enough. So the challenge is you're stuck with kind of taking a bet or getting B players. So we had this radical ideal where we went and hired the best operators we knew in those core areas, sales, product marketing, recruiting, and they work at unusual. But when we make an investment, they become full-time members of the teams for three, five, six months at a time. So much so that they're not giving advice, Jono. This is the key. A lot of VCs will tell you, oh, yeah, we have, we have a network of advisors. We have a network of operators that can help. Let me be clear. At Unusual, these people actually go into the companies. They have email addresses. And this is the kicker. They only get paid their bonuses when the companies achieve their stated goals. So literally, there's full alignment. They get paid their comp when the company hits its hiring, sales, and marketing goals. And they love it. And we were able to hire the very best operators in these key disciplines. And they work on, it's only three, maybe five companies a year. But At the core of it, we don't think venture scales. It's meant to be a hands-on partnership where you help companies in a way that isn't advice-driven. It's deliverable-driven. Now, I imagine that a lot of the people that you've brought into Unusual are probably the kinds of people who enjoy working with lots of different businesses. Because one of the things I've discovered in my career is There are some people who like to be part of one business, one project, and focus on that one thing and dig really deep into that. And there are other people that love the thrill of new challenges, new projects, new businesses, new cultures. Is that the kind of personality that you're tending to bring in to do this kind of work? Yeah, it's a a great point. And you're, you're actually a case in point, right? You can help people build their communities 
And there's always a trade-off between being all in on one thing, heads down for four years, or, or you know, with your vesting, uh, or maybe you're thinking about having multiple irons in the fire, and you give up a little bit on the the day-to-day that you actually build in exchange for working across maybe three or four strategic projects at a time. Right, right. So yes, it, on one, one hand, we basically wanted people who were highly curious, could learn fast, and could work on really one or two companies only at a time. But in a given year, they might work across, like I said, three, maybe five. And so while they give up a little bit on being all in on one thing, because they're so deliverable focused, they, they almost get there in terms of that satisfaction that comes with the building, because ultimately yeah. they're responsible for it. And, and to what level, uh, you, when you say they're in, kind of embedded into these companies, I mean, uh, are they, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm presuming that they're not just embedded advisors, that they're actually going to be in there reviewing content, engaged in meetings, involved in strategy, all of those different pieces. Is, is it that level of are they essentially an extended member of the team within that within that business, or are they more of a just kind of a on tap advisor? Would you say, John? They're they're literally an army of one or maybe two. So, as an example, uh, one of our recruiters he just closed the sixth engineer for one of our portfolio companies. Uh, we just did a company launch uh, at Traceable. Bill, who's one of, you know, he ran product marketing at New Relic and launched Darkly previously. He's on our team. He spent six months with Traceable. He wrote all the website copy. He created the sales decks. He wrote the first case studies. He managed the launch. N- not not advised, Jono. He did it. He wrote every word. Yeah. yeah he, he built the website along with a contractor. Like it's it's that level of depth. Now, now, this is, I mean, it is so different. Like, because when I think of most VCs, this just isn't how it tends to, tends to work. How have you found when you're talking to prospective companies to come in into the unusual universe, like, what's their reaction to this? Because I can imagine many people thinking, wow, this sounds, this sounds really great. But one fear that a lot of startups have is a, a VC being too involved and taking too much editorial influence over their company. How have you struck that kind of balance? Because this is a new model and it it could potentially perpetuate that worry. We aren't the product visionaries. That's what the founders do. That's what we're betting on. Product strategy, product vision, that's all them. And we don't, we just don't meddle there. That's their domain. It's why we made the investment. It's we believe in them. What we want to surround them with is all the supporting help around that positioning, messaging, selling. That, that you don't come out of the womb knowing. It's unfair for VCs to just, hey, I'll give you some advice about this, and then you should go figure it out. My, my personal belief is you learn in life through doing. So doing it alongside of our expert operators enables the founders to learn about this function such that they, they, when they're ready to hire someone else full time, they really understand it better. And that's that's the that's the essence. I look, the joke I usually make with people is, you know, if you have a child or you've ever tried something new like skiing or snowboarding, I could show you videos, I could give you advice about sleep training or how to do those things, or I could get on the mountain with you, or I could be your night nurse and I could show you 
next to you how to do these things. It's just a whole level of difference in terms of your ability to absorb that and learn when you have that kind of assistance. I, I, I could not agree more with you. And one of the things I love about this is, um, and this is something I discovered just from consulting, is you get exposed to so many different problems, approaches, cultures. Uh, and I think it gives you a much broader view of of, of the world of, of, of industry. You know, so I can imagine that, you know, um, as Unusual continues to do this, and as you work with more and more companies, just the level of experience and insight that's getting baked into Unusual is going to keep growing and growing and growing and growing, right? So it's kind of a continued investment in, in Unusual as well. Um, so I know a big chunk of this is kind of documenting this. You know, you've got, for example, the field guide, the field guide that you've got here. Can you talk a little bit about how you get it out of those people's heads, because there is obviously a, there is the there's the people on the ground piece, and then there is going to be um, resources and documentation and all that kind of stuff. How are you balancing that out? Yeah, no, I'm, thank you for asking about it. It's a labor of love. So, you know, one of the core kind of elements of our ethos at Unusual is we're just huge nerds about studying the things that founders need to do to succeed, and every founder's journey is different. But a lot of the obstacles they need to overcome, there are similarities. And so we're huge students of how successful founders at the early stage accomplished very tactical items, like some of those that I explained. Now, you asked me something. I just want to make sure I comment on this. John, it's not for everybody. Like some founders just want you to give money and get out of the way. In fact, some VCs, that's what they say. Hey, look, if they can't do anything with our money, then it probably wasn't going to work anyway. I, I respect it. I just respectfully disagree with it. I think even the best athletes in the world need a coach. Like you need someone who's going to help you, support you, and be demanding of you and teach you the little things that you might not know to be the person you're meant to be. So we, we're very upfront about it. We say, hey, this is our approach. This is our method. We call it the unusual method. It's on the website. Go to the field guide. It's a bunch of very tactical, almost paint by number type material. You want to learn how to define your ideal customer profile? Follow these steps. You want to figure out how to get 50 meetings or 10 design partners? Follow these steps. I mean, you just, to just, to, just, to, just to underline that for a moment, because uh, yeah. I, I, I could not agree more with this. Like, I'm, I'm, just as one example, I was looking through this the other day, and you've got a page on here about crafting great job, uh, great job descriptions, and it really does dig into a great level of detail. But it's clear and it's focused. It's got community discussion that's attached to it. I've never seen this with another VC. At best, you get kind of generalized blog posts that people put out, but this is all on your website. So I, yeah, I mean, this strikes me as, it seems so obvious, right? This is how it should work. Right? Well, we open sourced it all, John, because we wanted to provide really helpful content. Like we wanted to be good citizens. And this is the stuff that I've been studying for 20 years. And, right. but, but the, where the VC model is broken is the GP, we call it the hero model. They're supposed to know everything about hiring, you know, recruiting, job interviews, oh, selling, marketing. That's nonsense. That's not, I don't know. All, I don't know all that stuff, but I have experts as part of Team Unusual who know it really, really well. And so it's a team. It takes a team to help founders achieve what they can become and the company that they want to build. And so I, I said, this is nuts. Let's let's give everybody 
our secret sauce. He goes, oh, you're giving it away. I said, yeah, we're giving it away. Because again, if you really want to learn it, it's not enough to just read all the modules. Sure, you can follow the steps. You can paint by numbers. But when we do it alongside of you, when we do it with you in the workshops in our academy, or we actually, we call it the get ahead platform. When we put those operators with you inside your company, it's a whole nother level of learning and efficacy. So the field guide captures what we call the unusual method, which is all these steps. And then if you're interested, you can you can go with us, you know, one or two steps deeper. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the what's the relationship? Because <clears throat> that's probably I'm assuming that's a two way process that you, you, you build the field guide. Your team's putting this together, but then as they're getting out into into the portfolio companies and doing all this work, I'm, I'm presuming there's a lot of uh, ideas and expertise that's feeding back into unusual is that, and then it's going back into the field guide. Is there a kind of a collaborative process there? Oh man! So this is one of my greatest joys of doing unusual in the first place, and I it was it's a bit of a surprise, you know I. I I had no ambition of ever starting a venture fund. I want to be really clear about that. So it was, <laughs> I, I definitely was a bit nervous taking, taking the leap, but you know, I'm so blessed to be surrounded by an amazing group of talented people. That's my greatest, you know, joy in this whole thing. Yeah. But I love the learning because every engagement we do, John, we get feedback on the field guide modules. We get feed, feedback on the Academy. We get feedback from the, these gap engagements so we get to continuously improve the material that we have and we get to see where we have holes, right? Like the world is constantly changing, right? Go to market is changing all the time. I'll give you an example, right? Like we've been studying so much of this community orientation, right? How people build, what's the best kind of content, how you nurture this, right? The classic sales model of you know, backslapping, buying stakes, certainly in a COVID world, it's long gone. You need to, you need to nurture a community. You have to do that with content. You have to do that with educational content. Turns out people like to learn stuff. What's the best way to consume it? And we can change, we can iterate, we can improve constantly based on what we're learning. And so you'll, you'll see us always updating the field guide modules, adding new ones, adding new academy sessions, um, even adding new services to this operator team, we have to because we want to keep meeting the ne the needs of what founders, you know, are whatever their high priority challenges are. Right. It, it it all sounds like when you talk through this, it all sounds like this interesting mix of of content of obviously um, uh, kind of consulting of mentoring. Where you kind of this interesting combination of a, a VC as well as a content provider as well as a training academy. How do you balance all of these different pieces? Because this is a this is a this is not only unusual. <laughs> this is a big vision, right? There's a lot to do here. How are you balancing where you focus your efforts? Well, I mean, like any founder, it starts with hiring people much smarter than you. And so, you know, <laughs> I hustle and it's been three years now and I'm, you know, very, very proud of the people that are on this team. Right. And, and we give them the design, right. We give them the blueprint and, and then we let them run and we let them learn. And, you know, I jump in where I feel like I have expertise or need help. Uh, and, but, you know, we had the head, like I said, the head of marketing in Bill from New Relic and LaunchDarkly, we have the head of marketing from Okta. We have, 
the guy who was the top performing salesperson at Mongo. We have the top recruiter, you know, from Wealthfront and some of the other social companies uh, from App Dynamics. You know, I'm I'm so proud of these people because they understand what we're trying to do, and then I, it's my job to empower them and give them the freedom to go perfect and improve these key disciplines and areas that they're working on. Uh, so that's that's how we manage it, and we you know we huddle as a team and we figure out where we can improve and where we need to add. And we set the high, you know, the bar high and we execute. That's what I'm yeah. trying to do. So it's, it's, it's all about, I'm, I'm assuming that these folks who you're bringing in are pretty excited about this being a different model, right? They're just, this has got to be more exciting than going to a typical VC. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I find it's a mission-driven group. You know, we, we yeah. said we're reinventing venture. Like we're raising the bar. This, they're this isn't like we're just happy to be in the game. Like we want to be the best or none of this matters. So, yeah, you know, exactly. The things about unusual, yes, we have this operating difference. Our LPs are mostly nonprofits. You know, we have the historically black colleges, we have the hospitals. Like we cared about the causes we were working for. That inspires the group. You know, our team is more than half women. Like we care very much about that. So, people who work at unusual, it's not just about helping the founders, it's about caring about these other things that will raise the bar for the ecosystem. And we've attracted an amazing group because they believe in it. And I think it's, you know, it's important that it's not just a job that you believe you're making the world a better place. And, you know, that's why I think we've gotten some of the amazing people that we have. Yeah, no, for sure. So what's kind of been the, in your experience so far, you said it's been, was it three years now? You've been yeah, doing that? Almost. Yeah. Um, I bet you've learned a lot in those three years. Like, what have been the things that we that you would say are the um, the biggest wins, just in your method, in the in the unusual approach? But also, what have been the the uh, the the minefields that you've stood into inadvertently that you've discovered, and and how you've kind of you know reacted to that? Those lessons learned. Oh, I mean, my hair is a lot whiter than it was three years ago. Uh, so I think every founder, you know, count yourself lucky there. Okay, yeah. Let, let me tell you this. I'm a much better VC now than I was before I started Unusual. My empathy for founders is, it's just in a totally different place. And I, I just, yeah, I had to live it. I had to live the staring at the ceiling nights, the, you know, the recruiting, you know, ups and downs, the uh, <laughs> the un unavoidable kind of potholes that you hit and run into, you know, right. COVID. Right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, goodness, right? Running running a firm during a pandemic where everyone's virtual. I mean, these are just all, un, you know, unexpected challenges that are part of the part of the road. But boy, um, I certainly, you know, never dealt with this before. So founders are always dealing with the unexpected and it's always hard and heavy is the crown sometimes. So you, you kind of have to, you know, I used to think that my the thing I could help founders with was, you know, tactical item A or B, Jono, or C. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's belief. It's just real belief in them and what they are doing and always being in their corner. It doesn't mean being a cheerleader all the time. You got to demand and support, but believing that they can get it done. Because that's what I want for my investors. I want them to believe in me, you know, through thick and thin. Um, so I, I, I really have learned that over the last three years. Uh, and it's been hard. It's been it's been hard at times. And it's and it, but it's thrilling, right? Because I think when you when you're moving the needle and, and innovating in anything, um, uh, I think sometimes the the failures um, can feel heavy. And I think sometimes, it's, I mean, I, I'm guessing that you're 
you fall into this category, John, that when when things don't go right, you probably beat yourself up quite a bit about it and think, well, like, why did we do this? Like, how did it happen this way? But then the rewards of realizing those those potholes and making changes and then seeing the results of those changes are just, I think, really rewarding. Um, what was it like when, you're first, when you had your first portfolio coming in? Because this is such a new way of doing things. Um, were they providing a lot of feedback to you about like how this is working? Like when you first embedded that, f- that first person into their, into yeah. their business, I'm assuming that they've got, there must've been some situations where, where, you know, things were a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not even a little, Jono, like, let's be honest. It, it's, it's, it was an unusual approach and, you know, look, it was all on paper at first. So it was theoretical and, uh, we just, ha- you know, look, you just have to be really transparent with people and set expectations and say, hey, look, this is just like an unfinished product. Like we're learning, too. So don't don't expect it all to be smooth. Um, we're building we're the tra- car as we're driving it. Right? Yeah, it, absolutely. So, yeah, the first few engagements were, you know, they definitely had bumps. And thank God the founders were just really you know, understanding and compassionate about it. Uh, you know, we didn't start with that model where. um as I explained to you, the, the sort of bonuses for everybody on our operator team, they're tied directly to the company hitting its milestones. You know, they have to, for example, they have to close five deals this quarter. If they close five deals, then our salesperson gets their pump. If they don't, they don't, right? We had to learn that one, John. Like to get perfect alignment and authority to, to accomplish what needs to get done, we had to make sure there was complete buy-in from the founders and with our team. And so that was kind of an you know, essential learning, I would say, in year one, where we didn't start that way, and, and we had to. Uh, we had to fix that. And, and since then, it's been great. Um, I think the other thing is, it was us explaining the product. So just like any company, now our founders, and we have dozens of them who have experienced this with us and raised follow-on rounds from great firm, you know, tier one top firms that, you know, much higher than industry normal kind of series A prices, they they can validate, right? They can evangelize our product. It's so much different than us talking about how great it could be. And so that was a big jump to make where the references in essence are now in place and the data suggests, hey, this really is working. Have you found that the deal flow and, and the inbound interest has been changing because I, I like if if I was, for example, running a let's say a, a SaaS startup, I would be, and I'm not just saying this because you're on you're on the phone with me, um, but um, I would be much more interested in this model because it would feel like much more of an investment in my business. Um, and I think if I had the reassurance that I'm still in control of my business, I still have an opportunity to to build the product I want to build, but I've got this great support network that's baked in. That's got to be more interesting. Has that impacted the level of inbound interest and deal flow? I mean, look, John, that was my greatest uh, challenge when I thought about doing this is building a venture firm's brand is really hard, right? Like there are so many, you know, there's more every day. How do you stand out? Why does the world need another venture firm? Um, And so I wasn't, I knew it would take time. You know, Jody likes to tell me all the time, it takes 10 years to build anything of real value. So we just have to put one foot in front of the other and continue to build our brand and community. The deal flow has actually um, been great. Uh, I think, you know, while Unusual was new, I wasn't new, Joti wasn't new, you know, Andy Johns, Sarah Leary, you know, these are people that 
others know from their past experiences. And so that personal network kind of jump-started us. Um, but now we're leaning on a lot of what Unusual does for people, and they're talking about it. So, yeah, I see it. I see it gradually improving. Now we're low volume. We only do kind of eight to ten, maybe core investments a year. So we're not trying to scale up in you know world domination. It's you know we don't have to do all the great deals. I tell them the gr- the deals we do have to be great. So the investments we do make, they matter. Like they have to work. You know, it's different than a lot of these seed funds or big funds where you're one of hundreds of companies and whether you work out or not, let's be honest, it's not going to really move the needle. For us, everyone matters. Yeah. And are you finding that the level of scrutiny when you're evaluating these potential companies um, is much more significant? Because I would imagine it's, it's, it's more of a lift for you to work with these companies than a traditional VC that writes a check and maybe has some advisory calls um, so I would assume that the level of scrutiny and evaluation is, is, is much more involved, right? I would say the level of scrutiny and making sure that there's fit, Jono, is, you know, do they want this? Do they want our engagement model? Do they, do they believe in it? Do we, you know, that has to all line up. And we are very open about that ahead of time. Like I said, it's not for everybody. Like you have to, if you're a product visionary, who's excellent at strategy and building product and you know, you see an insight in a market and you want help, you have the humility to want help and to, and you have a high curiosity, you like to learn, this is an amazing fit. If you just want someone to check in with you every six weeks and kind of go through like an ops review, that's not really us. You know, I just, life's too short. That's just not what we do. So we just say, hey, that's okay. God bless you. If this is what you want to do, you know, there are other firms that are, that are really better for you than unusual. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, valuation, no, I, I would say that's... Look, I've been doing this long enough. I got into venture almost 20 years ago. The winners are the winners. And um, they always look expensive at the time. So <laughs> that's just the reality of the job. Right. Uh, you know, I think my greatest regrets in venture are the ones where I passed because I thought it was too expensive. In the end, if it's an iconic company, it all works out very well. It, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't say we're, I just would, we're not particularly valuation sensitive, I guess is the point. Have you been pissing off the rest of the venture world with this, with this exciting new model that you're focusing on? <laughs> like are people, are people looking at you through sneering glasses? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know that they are. They don't say, you know, I, I think the venture world is pretty good at uh, smiling at you, even when they're cursing you behind your back. I, I, I'm, <laughs> it's a lot of snakes. I, I, I don't know. I, I hope not. I mean, we're really trying to do better for founders. And if we, I see a lot of VC firms now talking about HBCUs as LPs. I see a lot of firms, you know, hiring more women. I see a lot of firms trying to provide more workshops and you know what? That's great. That's great for founders. If they want to copy us, great. We said we'd raise the bar. So I literally, John, in my first thing, my first pitch for unusual, I said, my job is to make the unusual usual. The things that we're doing, I hope the industry copies because we'll all be better off because of it. If they're sneering at us, I don't know. I do. I do occasionally hear people say, "Oh, we do that too," and I kind of <laughs> chuckle. I'm like, "Really? No, you, you do don't." Too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we didn't take a salary for the first, you know, three years because we used all the fees for the funds to pay the operators. Right. I, I said, "How many? How many partners do that?" 
Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I, I, I love about your approach is that it's, it, it really is focused on what I think are the most important elements of all of this, which is helping the business, helping the founders and helping the, the, the companies to be successful. Um, and, you know, without naming names, you certainly don't get that with, with all VCs. It's a sliding scale. So um, switching gears a little bit, because like you said, you've been doing this for 20 years. Um, the nature of business is constantly changing. And I'd like to kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about business in general. Um, let's first of all talk about COVID. That's obviously the elephant in the room. That's what everybody's talking about. Also, it's not an elephant in a room in that, in that regard. How have you seen COVID in the last, I mean, we're recording this in September. How have you seen the impact of COVID impacting, um, not just the businesses that you're working with, but just more broadly since it really kind of kicked off? Well, I think like everyone, that first month was kind of a vertigo moment, you know? Yeah. No uh, what does it mean? How long will it last? You know, is the world going to zero this year? So many questions, right? And I think step one was breathe. You know, don't panic. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I, I'm old enough now. I've lived through the dot-com crash and, the, you know, the financial crisis. So, right. uh, guys, this, this, this too shall pass. Up. You know, we'll yeah, get through it. Shall pass. Yeah. This, we'll, we'll, we'll be all right. Um, but we had to kind of have a, you know, a real heart-to-heart with every founder and say, okay, guys, we need, we need plans. We need a moderate change in the world, you know, catastrophe kind of plan, you know, all things go to zero um, and maybe something even in between. And so you saw, you saw a lot of thinking about headcount, forecasting, expenses, you know, managing cash, all that kind of stuff. And that was March, April, you know, maybe even into May. Um, and then we had the PPP stuff, you know, right? If you remember that, it was, it didn't come out with a lot of clarity. Who's it for? How do you get it? How much? What are the terms? And there was a lot of mashing uh, in May and June on PPP. I'm sure you you had clients or oh yeah, founders you probably talked to about that. Yeah. And now I think as we've seen sort of Q2 results and people are seeing Q3, I guess what I would say is two things. One is a lot of technologies that people were dabbling with or you know working on got accelerated. There was a little bit of a catapulting to the future. Uh, and to some extent, companies are actually better off, some of them, because of that demand for what they do. Uh, just turns out remote work has different technology needs. And some of these companies were betting on that setup in some ways all along. So it's been great. Um, I think the productivity levels are actually higher than if you had asked me, say, a year ago, if your entire team was remote, not seeing each other, working from home, you know, what would be the drop off? Right. I don't know, John. I probably would have said 50%. You mm. know, people that are single, it's hard to be alone. People with little kids. I mean, you know, how many Zoom bombs have my, my three little girls done? <laughs> and uh, it's, just, it's just part of it. Like, you, you know, you, there's a level of sort of veneer that got washed away. It's like, hey, here's my real life. Here's the real deal. Like, we all got to work through it. Uh, but I actually think it's been, it's, in some levels, people are almost as productive or maybe more productive. Uh, I worry how sustainable it is now as we're here in September. You know, I think it's one thing that, if you have execution orders that are very clear, 
you can work from home, you can manage your time, you can get things done. I think strategic planning, you know, aspects of getting humans together to think through and solve problems. Right now, I, I, I find it harder than doing so in person. And so at some point, we will pay the price for that, is, is my thinking. It's just so difficult as well, isn't it? Because everybody looks at it through a different lens, you know. So, for example, designers are very tactile people. Um, so working, I think, remotely is going to be probably a lot more complicated. But engineers are used to working in a remote way in many cases. And then, of course, like you say, just from a personal level, like one of my clients, for example, um, one of the community leads there is, you know, she's a Ukrainian woman who just moved to uh, San Francisco uh, about two months before COVID hit. And she's living in a little flat in San Francisco and she doesn't really know anyone. And her experience is very different, for example, to me, where I have a family and I live in suburbia. You know, I have a lot more privilege and uh, comfort than than many people. Uh, and it's so, it's very difficult, I think, especially when you run a business to kind of, to, to, to understand where that line is, because that line's different for, for everybody. Um, what do you think that the remote, what do you think the, the broader impact of remote work is going to be? Cause everybody's arguing about this right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, arguably remote work is something that, uh, many startups, I mean, just look at GitLab, for example, they do an amazing, amazing job with remote work, but it does require a very careful set of skills that are mainly cultural as opposed to technological. Do you see remote being something that's going to be sustainable? And what do you think people need to do to make it work? Yeah, I've had a couple conversations about this. I mean, here's here's a few ideas to consider. Hmm. I, I think that it's a little premature to say, we're going to do this forever. You know, I, I've seen a few companies make these sort of broad sweeping announcements. It's like, we're yeah. going to work forever. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I just have seen too many cycles. I think that I think that's just it's a little myopic. Uh, so I think there will probably be different shades of gray for, and it's going to depend on the company. More importantly, depending on what your company decides to do, you should be prepared for a lot of turnover because some percentage of the people that you hired before are not going to want. Whatever whatever setup you decide to go with, and that's okay, right? Yeah. Just be clear. Decide we're going to do it a certain way, and expect that some people didn't sign up for that, and they're going to go find a company that's a better fit for them going forward. Some some, some people want all remote. Some people want a hybrid situation. Some people want to come to work every day, and they're going to find opportunities that are a good fit for them. And companies just need to be clear with people how they're going to do it. And then expect to deal with the change. You know, another another area that I think we've been seeing some. I mean, this this is one thing I'd love to get 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 into with you, John, because you've got so much experience. You've worked with so many different businesses, um, so I think you can offer a really unique insight on on these big challenges or big questions that are facing business today. Another one here is is the balance of the influence of employees. So, for example, more and more businesses are focusing on on increasing the, the 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 level of communication with their employees, making their employees feel like they're able to influence and feed into the business. And obviously that increases, um, you know, uh, the level of meaningful work and the passion that employees have in those businesses, it increases retention. People want to go and work there as opposed to if you get stuck in a cube and you just go through your to-do list every day. But there are some companies, and I'd say Google are a good example of this, where um, 
some employees, especially the vocal minority of those employees, have become very loud, very opinionated, and then that sometimes led to things like uh, strikes and walkouts and things like that. So I think many businesses are facing the question, especially in a place like San Francisco, where there is such a, an open culture of you know breaking down the barriers between leadership and individual contributors of where that line should be drawn, where you want the impact and the influence of all those amazing people who work for you. But at some point, you've got to say no. At some point, you've got to make an unpopular choice that may bristle some people. What's your thinking about where that line is drawn and how businesses, especially startups who are building their new culture, should approach it? I mean, it's a great thought, John, and it's, you know, terrific discussion to have. I, you know, for me, it's something just as you say that it's, I'm reminded of all the time, you know, as a leader, it's, it's hard, you know, you're, you're not going to please all of the people all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to remember that, uh, you know, and you can't sweat the small stuff because there's just always stuff. and You've got to do the best you can. You got to define the principles, the values, and uh, there's just going to be there's going to be people who don't agree. And you know what? They have the freedom of choice to go work somewhere else. And yeah. sometimes you just have to be okay with that. Um, you know, I I think to think that you could solve for everybody and not have to deal with that is kind of a fairy tale. Uh, yeah. At some level, it's statistics, right? It, you know, it's, at a place like Google, every day it's likely that someone in the company is having the worst day of their lives. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's well, a good point. You know what I mean? So you, you're I just never really thought about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, you know, it's like it, it's uh, you know, for startups, you got a cross section of humanity, right? Yeah, just someone's having should. a bad day, yeah. right? Uh, so at startups, you know, it's as much smaller group and um you know hopefully you 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 have an interview process and a vetting process where you know you welcome diversity of thought you diversity of idea but everyone buys into rowing in the same direction and you know fighting you know we call them the high priority items like these are the things that matter most and everyone's aligned on that uh and i think that's you know startups the one advantage they have if anything is the speed at which they can move react iterate you know change improve and if the team isn't aligned they can't do that they they lose that one thing that they're good at so you know you've often seen these you can have the aberrant genius but they can't be an a-hole you know that, right that doesn't work <laughs> because it's just too disruptive for a startup and you know that's leadership right leadership isn't what you preach it's what you tolerate yeah and so you've got to make sure as the leader that everybody is rowing in the same direction and not too disruptive. And if they are, then they, you know, they've got to move on. It, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I think it was David Siegel. I had David Siegel, the CEO of uh, meetup.com on the podcast. And we were talking, I forget what we were talking about, but he, he mentioned, he said, there are some people who are more interested in the debate than the outcome. Um, and he said, you've got to be careful with those people because it will be an endless stream of debating. Uh, but there is another, you know, the other alternative to that is you have people who will debate their perspective and their point. But then at some point they say, okay, we've reached our conclusion. 
let's move on. Let's get on with it. Um, I might not necessarily 100% agree with it, but let's move on. And what I found really interesting about his comment there was that it, it, it supported the notion that um, reasonable people can dis- disagree about reasonable things. Uh, and uh, without turning this into a broader lens on society, but I think we're seeing increasingly with with the current political climate that um, the idea of people having different perspectives and having a reasonable discussion about that is breaking down in our culture a little bit. Um, have you seen that companies that you've worked with have had to deal with that? I mean, you just have to look at Twitter, which has become a bit of a cesspool with people just throwing pot shots at each other and, and you know, backing themselves into their teams and, and at all costs, you must defend the team. Um, that's got to start bleeding into some companies and impact and outside of politics. I just mean, that's got to start impacting the way in which people discuss and debate and explore ideas with each other. Have you seen a change in that regard recently? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little sad, right? Because constructive conflict is how we get to the best answers. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, the civility should be a part of debate debate is now often lost. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of, I remember high school, right. You know, they call them ad hominem. If you remember logic, if you and I don't agree, well then you must be a bad person. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, that's, that's just a really flawed way of thinking. You know, it's okay to disagree. You be able to state your point and uh, do it in a civil way. And sure. You can feel passionate about things. That's, that's encouraged, but at the end of the day, you have to have a direction, a decision needs to be made. And, you know, you, you can't disagree and then not commit, right? That, that, that's toxic. That is, that is poison for a team. Mm. So we talk about that here. It's like, look, you might not support an investment initially. You, you're free to debate it as an example. But once we make the decision, if we go forward, we're all in this together. And yeah, you you're on the become, team. You should become the champion of that thing. Because we're all in this together. And if, if anyone, if I catch them, you know, disagreeing and kind of being, you know, still negative on it, then, you know, you get one strike, at least a team unusual. And then, and then you've got to move on. That's, that's, uh, that I've just been on too many teams in my life, Jono. And that, that's the fabric that the good ones are made of. that They can disagree and commit. I'll go forward. And if you have these, you know, sort of side, side tangents or people, Bad mouthing each other, you know that's that's a recipe for disaster. It becomes political, and yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a failure of leadership. So yeah, I agree. I, would, I, love, I, I, I love that you do that. I mean, because that that's the thing that worries me is that I mean, in you doing that as that example, um, it means that you you kind of need to stick your neck out as a leader and say. This is this is what we expect. This is the level of rigor that we expect within within unusual. And I I do worry sometimes that for some leaders who want to be liked by everybody, who want to be all things to all people, that it's very difficult for them to do that. So I think the more we see people such as yourself doing that, the better. Yeah, if you want to always win the popularity contest, then being a founder or being a leader is not, your, not for you. <laughs> Go and be an Instagram influencer. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and obviously, another another um, uh, another thread within business is is has been all the unrest that we've been seeing for for a long time now around um, systematic racism. 
And one of the things that I, I, I love about what you're doing with Unusual is, and you mentioned this earlier on about, um, about not just racism, but just equality. Like you've, you've hired a lot of women and you're investing in diversity and things like that. But what I also love is this, you're opening up the tent when it comes to education, when it comes to content. It's diversity of people as well as diversity of ideas. Um, there's a lot we can talk about that, but what I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, John, more is about the changing power dynamic that you're seeing in venture capital and in business. Because um, I get the impression that, you know, in the old days of business, you know, back in the 40s and the 50s, there was a very, very clear divide between the executives and the team members, and people knew their place. Um, but increasingly, we're seeing the power dynamic getting leveled, both in terms of uh, people in underrepresented groups, um, those barriers being broken down and having more opportunity, but also just the relationship, I think, between leadership and team members. And there's got to be, therefore, a relationship between um, investors, of course, and those businesses and those team members. How have you seen that power dynamic kind of shift throughout your career? And where would you like to see it go moving forward? I mean, it's such an interesting topic and so important, frankly. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm the best person to speak on the topic super broadly. I mean, I, I can share with you how I think about it and unusual. I, well, know, that's not I, good enough. You're going to have to fix all of our problems right now. <laughs> that's the way we're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> no I mean, pressure. <laughs> one thing at a time, you know, I, right. you know, we, we wanted to see the asset class venture, which is one of the greatest economic generators, apply to historically black colleges. I just felt like forever, you know, since the, since the venture capital business was born in the late sixties, it, it wasn't organized in a way that that wealth creation went back to these underrepresented institutions and education is the great equalizer, right? So we wanted to, to do something different about that. And, and even though it took me probably 10 X the number of meetings, <laughs> when I set up Unusual in the first place, to get HBCUs as LPs, we kept saying it's the right thing to do, even if it's not the easy thing to do. And a lot of times yeah. in life, you have to make those choices. And we're, I'm very proud to say we, we managed to make it work with, you know, with the assistance of, of very many people. Yeah. From the team perspective, John, I, I, just, I think the science is irrefutable now. Like diverse opinions get you to better answers. And that's our yeah. job, right? Make the best investments, generate the most returns. That is what people, you know, that is our job. That's what we're employed to do. Maximize returns for our diverse investor base. I think by having a diverse team of people, we'll get to better conclusions. Those different points of view are exactly how you, you, you find the best judgment. Um, and I hope, you know, a natural sort of outcome of that diverse team is a diverse group of founders that we end up investing. And that's proven to be true at Unusual. Um, you know, where I struggle in the venture industry, and it, again, it's, it's a completely debatable point, and I, and I respect it. I, I think trying to have investment strategies that are tied specifically to diversity are challenging because the job is to maximize returns. That's what investors are looking for. And, you know, he who chases two rabbits catches neither. You know, kind of confusion. So, <laughs> right. I, I think you know. I hope that our generation of wealth and, and value for our LPs, having a diverse team, that is our mission to raise the bar 
you know, in venture. And uh, I think when we have the best in class returns, er, you know, again, people will copy us because they'll see it is the, it is the best formula. Right. So that was, that was our stated mission. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's a tricky topic, isn't it? Because it's diversity and inclusion and breaking down systematic racism and these different pieces, you can't only attack it from one angle, right? There's got to be lots and lots of different people playing a role. Um, and this seems to me your angle, right? That's how you're approaching it and, 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 and being a participant there. So, you know, I think this sounds, it sounds wonderful to me. And I think we're just seeing this, at least what I'm seeing as well in, um, is just generally people are more aware and becoming more aware and making more natural changes. Like I remember, for example, when I was at GitHub and it was the first time I ever heard the term unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. And the first time I heard that term, I thought that that can't possibly apply to me. That must apply to other people. (laughs) And then you realize when you dig into these things, actually, yeah, it kind of applies to everybody. Um, So I just, I think we're just as a society becoming more aware of it, which is obviously a good thing. Now I want to, I want to get you out the door on time. So before we wrap up, um, tell us a little bit about what you, what you see next, because there's a lot of really interesting things going on, you know, with, with unusual, you've obviously like, like we, we talked about, there's the field guide, you've got the get ahead platform, you're working with the companies. What, what do you, I mean, you've had a really interesting ride for the, for the first three years. What, do you see in the next the next three years? Well, you know, I I'm excited about the growth of the team first and foremost. I think uh, you know we we just hired another another investment partner and uh, we'll be announcing her quite soon. And so right. excited about that. And you know, it's uh, you know I've been blessed. I, they have these these goofy lists, John. I hate to say it, Midas list and this kind of stuff. <laughs> like I, I've been on it a lot of times. I the sooner other people on Team Unusual are on those lists, I will feel joy. Like right. that is my goal is to see these other people succeed. And so I'm giving it everything I can to help them become the people they're meant to be. And yeah. same for the founders, right? Like I at this stage of my life, I you know my aspirations are to see their lives change and the and their and the people in their companies' lives change. And so. It's just giving it everything we got to help these founders achieve their dreams. And, you know, and the team at Unusual, seeing them, you know, succeed and improve their skill set and get better as investors, as operators. And so Jody and I are all in on that and, you know, trying to trying to basically make sure that our founders are getting the most help with the things that are the most important in those early years. And so it's more of the same services. We have ideas on a few new services that we're going to add. Uh, it's adding to the team. So we have investors in different areas that are complementary, but all aligned on what we're trying to do. Uh, and, you know, we just have to keep pushing ourselves, right? We never stop. It's like, what, what else can we do to raise the bar? And uh, we don't have the inertia that some firms have, right, of all these years of success. And I think that's one of the fundamental limitations, John O. Venture is, when everything's working and all these people are making all this money, they're reluctant to change anything. They don't want yeah, to screw it up. Exactly. Why, why, why fix what's not broken in their eyes, right? That's right. And that's why they don't change enough. And so, but you know, that's why I had to start with a blank canvas and just say, what is everything we can do? We can start, we have this rare opportunity with our track records to raise all the money we ever could ever need. And 
but let's go redefine the industry with a greater level of education, a greater level of service, a different kind of LP base, a different composition of team. And now we just have to kick everyone's butt (laughs) and show everybody that this is the best way. And so it's finding the best founders who want our engagement model, who believe in what we're doing and uh, just getting up every day. You know, I, I used to be a soccer player a thousand years ago, right? And you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, right? The, the, the famous of Manchester United, you might be familiar with given your path, right? He used to say that the secret to success is consistent excellence. Consistent excellence. It's that simple. Yeah. Every day you get up and can you be better? Can you do better? So that, that's what I aspire to these next few years. I love it. I love it. Well, John, I mean, it's been a real pleasure having you on. And uh, for those of you who are listening who who want to go and check out John and, and, and what his what his colleagues are doing, go to unusual.vc. John, I just love the fact that you're, 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 you're doing something new. You're remixing it. You're like you say, you're building the car as, as you're driving it. You're sharing that um, publicly. You're, you're embedded with the founder. I just think it's a great model. And, and I wish you the very, very best of success. So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. And, you know, you do such an amazing job working with the founders that you engage. So thank you for supporting us and, you know, for being part of the effort. Thank you.